the meeting in the air. The Thessalonian church's instructions were cut short by persecution. Doctrine is the protection of the church. Relationships are the warmth of the church. The Thessalonians needed both. When we only focus on being right, we find that our church will become cold and sterile. When we only focus on relationships, we find that the church loses its direction and focus. The Christian world was in turmoil at this point. Mobs were riled up just as we see them today. The Apostle Paul worked quickly when he came into Thessalonica to teach the Thessalonians what they needed to know concerning this new gift of eternal life and how to live daily living. Because you see, as a Christian, our lives change. We're now liberated to live differently. The jail cell doors have been shaken off the hinges by this amazing earthquake of Jesus Christ raising from the dead, and we're free now to walk out of our jail cells. But we don't always walk out, even when the door is open. They knew that Jesus Christ was coming again. They knew that he would come to rule and reign. But Paul had to leave Thessalonica quickly. And the church was left with questions and persecution and troublemakers that came from Philippi all the way down and kind of around the bottom of the, uh, of the landscape there to get to Thessalonica. So these people that came were creating unrest. They were questioning Paul's motives. And in the first three chapters of Thessalonians, you'll find that Paul, as he's teaching them, is having to remind them, remember, what you're hearing is not true. I did this. I did this. I did this. And Paul defended his character because at the heart of apostolic authority, in fact, at the heart of all leadership is character. If you don't trust their character, you don't know if you can trust what they're saying. Does that sound familiar? You see, it's easy to become comfortable with life, and it's only when something unpredictable and uncomfortable comes that we review life and look at the eternal. So in chapter 4, Paul, now having just had to leave quickly, writes back to them and begins supplementing and reinforcing what they still needed. Paul's message in chapter 4 begins with a reminder, Jesus is coming, be ready. Don't be deceived into living the way you used to live. Don't walk back into the jail cell and think that true joy comes by living in the jail. Think different. Live different. And he capsulized it with this. Keep yourself pure. Remember last week we talked about staying pure in your thinking, according to verse 3 of chapter 4. Staying pure in your body, verses 4 and 5. Stay pure in your relationships, verses 6 and 7. And stay pure in your work ethic, verses 11 and 12. So as we look now at the last part of chapter 4, Paul gives information that helps expand what they already knew. Now remember, Timothy had brought back a report from Paul of how the Thessalonians were doing. And remember, this is one of the earlier books. Um, Corinthians will be written about five years later. 
Titus will be written probably about five years later. This is at the very beginning of most of the New Testament writings. James was written very early, of course. So, Timothy had returned to Paul, had given a report of how the believers were doing. And part of Paul's foundational teaching was the second coming. So often today, I think we forget all the pieces that need to be coming. Paul only had a short amount of time, and wherever he was, he taught doctrine, taught doctrine, taught doctrine, and encouraged fellowship, because the church needs both of those. So, Paul was teaching that Jesus will come, Jesus will rule, he will reign, he is sovereign, but the Thessalonian people were sorrowing. They were sorrowing as a group because they were wondering what happens to those who don't live till Jesus comes back. So he begins in verse 13, he says, For I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. What's he talking about? He's saying it's, it's all going to be instructive today. These are foundational pieces that we each need concerning the relationship of the dead to the return of the Lord. And the second part is going to deal with the timing of his return, resulting in the importance of you need to be ready. Don't, don't be sidetracked. Don't get caught off guard. You need to be ready. So what happens? Let's look at verse 13 together. He talks about the sleep of a believer. He says, now I don't want you to be uninformed, the word ignorant there. He's not being unkind. In fact, you notice he even uses the word, I wouldn't want you to be uninformed, brethren. You know, sometimes he uses this phrase later, Will said, what? Don't you know? And it's more of a scolding. There's no scolding here. He's telling them, he says, I don't want you to be uninformed, brethren, concerning those which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as those who have no hope. So let's look here. He says, he talks about the sleep of a believer. I thought this is interesting. We often talk about cemeteries. And when I hear the word cemetery, I think of a graveyard. But you know where that word cemetery comes from? It's a Greek word, and the word comes from koimaterion, which means a sleeping place. It's actually a kind word. Our word dormitory comes from that same kind of word. The word dormitory is Latin, and it means a place to sleep. So when you hear this word to sleep, it was, a, it was used not only of unsaved and saved people, but mainly as Christians began thinking about what does it mean when a person dies. When a person sleeps, we think of what? Rest. We think a person is, not, is able to kind of pull back from what, all that's going on and is able to kind of recover. Sleeping is good. I, I try to keep track of how much sleeping I do, and sometimes I wake up and it says, uh, you're in a deficit right now. You, you owe me time. Well, you know, sleeping is good. Some of you say, oh, I wish I could sleep. And the older you get the harder it is to sleep long. At least it is for me. But here, Paul is giving a picture of sleep. Now, it's interesting. Some, some would say, well, when you die, your soul sleeps. You're really doing nothing until Jesus comes back. Well, that wouldn't be in keeping 
in uh, with First Thessalonians chapter five verse ten. If you just look maybe across the page in your Bible, it says, "Who died for us that whether we wake or sleep, die." He's not talking about laying on your bed. We should live together with him. He's not talking about someone who kind of goes into this limbo. He's talking about whether we're whether our body is alive or whether it's dead, we still function. He goes on, uh, we, we look in verse 14, and he says, look, he says, please understand, he says, those who sleep, he said, don't sorrow like those who have no hope. When we lose a loved one, and we really haven't lost a loved one, death is separation. And we'll talk about that in just a little bit, as you see, Death is a separation. When God says, when you eat of this tree, you will surely die. Well, Adam, it took 930 years for Adam to die. But he did die immediately. He died in his, he died a spiritual death in his relationship with God. He died a emotional, a soul death, a relational death with his wife. And only 930 years later did he die a physical death. Well, here, Paul is saying, you need to understand, we're talking about a physical death here, a body death. He says, don't grieve like those who have no hope. I grieve the separation from my parents. I loved being with them. I would love to be with them but I will be with them again. It's a temporary separation. But to the unsaved, you know, the best they can say is, well, I'm glad he's out of pain. But even that is somewhat of a misunderstanding because that didn't end all their pain, did it? So we come to verse 14, and he says, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. The point that he's going to make for us here is our resurrection, our physical resurrection is as certain as the Lord Jesus Christ's resurrection. In fact, because he lives, we will live also. Our eternity is based on the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he begins then the teaching so that we can understand, all right? He gives the premise there, but now verse 15, he says, For we say unto you by the word of the Lord. Isn't that interesting? Who is Paul saying taught this? The Lord Jesus Christ. For we say unto you by the word of the Lord, the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ... You see, there was a fear that there was going to be this disadvantage for those who died before Jesus came back. You know, I, I, I wanted to be there. I wanted to be there when Jesus came back. What happens now? Do I miss out? Did I, did I not complete what I needed to complete for that? And he says, this is from the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we read that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. You know, over years, the English language has changed. Back then, the word prevent meant to go before, 
Now prevent means to hold back, doesn't it? It means to stop someone from doing something. So as we read this older translation, it's very difficult to understand. Now we can get out a dictionary, we can get out an older dictionary. God designed us to read it and to understand his word. And what he's telling us here, he says, you need to understand something. Those of you who are alive are not going to go before. You're not going to have an advantage over those who have died. You won't prevent go before them but in fact notice what he says as he's teaching here he says the dead are going to go at the same time as the living he says verse 16 for the lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel with the trump of god and the dead in christ shall rise first now the teaching that we're seeing here is the dead are going to go before and we're all going to be caught up together at the same time in the clouds, which means you've got this whoop, and everyone goes at the same time. Now, this teaching is, is throughout Paul's teaching. Titus, like I said, was probably written about five years after this. Let's turn over to the book of Titus, and let's see what we're taught there. Titus chapter 2. And notice how Christian living, pure living, is always tied to our Lord's return. We live the way we live knowing the certainty that Jesus is coming back. Titus chapter 2 verse 11, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope, even and the glorious appearing of our great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. What was Paul saying? God teaches us that we should live a certain way because we are looking for that glorious appearing of our great God. In the Greek there, the word and, um, chi, can also mean even. And in here, he's not giving two different ones that the Father and the Son are returning. He's saying, our great God, even our Savior, Jesus Christ. What's he telling us? He's saying, we're looking forward to Jesus coming back. Jesus has won the victory. Jesus Christ is the one who will overcome. Now, interestingly, as we just finished Philippians, in Philippians chapter 1, you notice the Apostle Paul was not certain exactly how long he was going to live. The longer he lived, the more he wondered, will I be here? Will I not? Will I already die? He's already been stoned. He's already gone through a lot of really difficult things. Would he live through this? He didn't know. He said, I'm, I'm torn between two. He said, I want to be here when Jesus Christ comes back. But I would really rather just go and be with him. So he says, I don't know which is better. But he said, right now, I'm convinced God has me here for you. So I'll probably be here for a little bit. He didn't know, but it sure made sense. God's got me here for a reason. I'm probably going to be here for a while yet. So, notice then what he goes on. He then talks about where this is going to take place. It's the meeting at a location. It's like planning to meet someone at a place at a certain time. Where are you going to meet? Well, let's meet at 
Five guys. I'm in. Let, let's, let's meet at five guys. And, all right, we're, we're going to meet at the one on 45th. And let's meet, give you time to change, let's, let's meet at noon. And everyone goes, okay, five guys on 45th at noon. You've got all the information you need. Where will we meet Jesus? Well, in that, he's the one who's going to do the calling. He says, I'm going to meet you in the clouds. Now, for just a moment, think about the text we read this morning. Luke was reminding them how Jesus walked on the earth after his passion after that crucifixion week, why? Because he rose from the dead, he walked around, was there with them 40 days, saw all the different people, was seen by many people, and then remember what happened? As they were watching him, where did he go, according to the text we read this morning? To the clouds. And what did the angel say? This same Jesus who you saw taken away from you will so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. And what does Paul say? For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God. You know, I was thinking about this this morning. In John chapter 11, maybe you remember, John chapter 11 has the shortest verse in the Bible, right? John eleven thirty-five. 35, Jesus wept. What's, what's the background to that? It's the death of Lazarus. And now think back, what did Jesus tell the disciples? They said, Lord, we need to hurry. And he says, no, Lazarus is sleeping. Now we need to go. And they said, well, if he's sleeping, everything's okay. And finally Jesus had to say, no, Lazarus is dead. But notice the symbolism Jesus uses. Jesus says, Lazarus is sleeping. And then when he came, what did Mary and Martha say? Lord, if you had been here... He wouldn't have died. And Jesus said, no, no, no. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. What did he do? He went, he wept with them at the grave. But then what did Jesus say? He said, take away the, the stone. And they said, Lord, he's decayed. Now look at all the symbolism that Jesus is showing for us. Lord, he's decayed. And Jesus prays and he says, Lord, I'm not, Father, I'm not asking this for me. I know you hear me all the time. I'm praying this out loud so that they can understand. And then what did Jesus do? Jesus spoke with a loud voice. Lazarus, come forth. What do we find in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4? For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. Now, in both places, it's the idea of the voice of authority. Jesus has the right to do this because he is God. You see, it reminds us all the time, Jesus is God. Jesus is the one who has the authority to do this. And so he says he's going to come with a shout, with the voice of the archangel. What does that mean? Is this all kind of a stack together? Is it a multiple phrase thing? The shout, the voice of the angel, archangel, the trump of God, is that all one thing? Is that three things that are being described there? I know this, it's the voice of authority. 
Is it then that he has marshaled and the archangel are then marshaling all the troops to come? The trumpet, is that the sound of victory that's coming? I don't know for certain how all those, because the Bible doesn't flesh all that out for us. What we do know is this. Paul is teaching them, don't be discouraged. The people that have died are not going to be shortchanged. The people that have died will be caught up together with him. It says, the dead in Christ shall rise first. And then you notice in verse 17, then we which are alive. I just... I find it fascinating. Paul could have said, then they which are alive, if he was going to shove this into the future. Paul didn't know when this was going to take place. Paul assumed this could take place very soon, and the people that were grieving, those that had died, were considering the fact that they would be there for this time. And he says, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. The word caught up there is where we, we get our term rapture. It's not in the scripture. It's not in the Greek. Uh, it's a Latin term. Uh, and the word is uh, rapture. And the idea is to snatch away. You know, it's like if you have something in your hand and someone comes along and just snatches it real quickly. Takes it real quickly. It's like saying, okay, can you get this? And someone comes by and snatches it from you. Well, what that's talking about is how quickly this is going to take place. It's a snatching. It happens so quickly. What an amazing thing. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. For me, that's going to be my first view. First time I've ever seen Jesus. First time my dad's ever seen Jesus in his body. I'm going to meet the Lord in the air. I'm going to meet the Lord in the air. You know, this will be the first time the entire church has ever been together. We're all known for, well, we're Lighthouse Baptist Church in Fargo. There's Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo. There's Cornerstone Baptist Church. And we could just start going through. There's going to be some that don't have Baptist on their name. There's going to be all kind of different ones. But notice what happens now. We've got a church united. Everyone's together. We shall all be caught up together, the dead and the living, and we're all there together. We're going to meet the Lord in the air. You know, it talks about a relationship to meet the Lord. This isn't just an event. It's a reunion. And what is Paul wanting them to recognize? He's wanting them to recognize there's the doctrine here is really important. It's important that we all recognize that Jesus is coming back. Just as we saw him go, he's going to come back to the clouds. We will meet him in the clouds. And then the scriptures tell us the second coming is he's going to come to this earth. 
Satan will be totally defeated. When mankind died, he died spiritually, his relationship with God was messed up. He died emotionally, his soul died. Can you imagine the first time he had been so gracious, so kind, so loving to his wife, and all of a sudden he says, well, the woman you gave me, she did it. I mean, just imagine Eve for just that moment. You said, what? Don't be pinning this on me now. And all of a sudden, Adam's going, what happened to my sweet wife? And you realize this death that took place to relationships, this death that took place in the relationship with God, and this physical death which is capturing all of us. Satan's final victory actually wasn't a victory. Paul addresses this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, even the body. He said, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. And the dead in Christ shall rise first, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And now Paul, writing to the Corinthians, says, wherefore... Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord because you know your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Imagine those thoughts. You see, the, the second coming, this rapture, our Lord's return is so tied into everything that we think because it is the end of the victory. Satan doesn't win anything. He thought he had destroyed mankind, but when Jesus died on the cross... And when we receive that gift spiritually, we are alive. That's called justification. Important doctrine. When we are now through the work of the Holy Spirit and God's word in our life, we are, our soul is redeemed. Our, our whole psyche, who we are is changing and that has been redeemed. But you know what? Satan can still say, well, I still want a partial victory because I got the body. And God says, no, no. Not everyone's going to die, but we all live in sinful bodies. Paul said, oh, I can't stand this wretched body, this person that I am. Who's going to deliver me from this body of death, this sinful cravings that are still in me? And he says, thanks be to God, who giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, when he comes and when we get our new bodies, the curse of sin has totally been broken. Satan got nothing. See, God delivers this total victory, no partial defeat at all. The only ones who are defeated are defeated because of their choice, not because of Satan. People make their decision, just like Adam and Eve, to believe and obey or not. To you children, you need to remember, you do get to make the choice to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, but you're not free to make the consequences. 
You see, if we don't receive Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins, then we stand before God guilty. But when we allow Jesus to be our substitute, and we accept him as our Savior, he then stands and says, I've paid the debt. Now our sins can be forgiven. But he doesn't force you to do that. It's your choice. I don't know why you wouldn't want to receive him, but it's your choice. Paul says, Brothers and sisters, remember, Jesus is coming. We need to be ready. Now, there are some dear brothers and sisters in Christ who, when they read this passage, and they're going to read some other passages, and they're going to say, I don't think it happens exactly in the timing that you say that it happens. I'm going to show you why I believe what I believe, but you know what? They're dear brothers and sisters in Christ, and I believe they're probably going back to the same scriptures, and they're going to try to point it out. I'm going to give you everything that I can. I'm going to try to present the reason why some people believe that instead of being pre-tribulational, that we will be taken out before the tribulation, why some people believe mid-trib, and why some people believe post-trib. All of us, though, believe Jesus is going to come back, take us. Some believe he's going to come, rapture us out, and we're going to turn around and come right back again because the tribulation's over. That's not what I believe, but that is what brothers and sisters in Christ, they're still dear brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's, let's remember, all right, this is an important doctrine. This is not a foundational doctrine, but it is hope that I want you to understand that we have you know, a small side thought here as we come to the end of just the doctrine of what does the Bible say about people who have died in Christ and what will happen to them is this thought. We which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord, that relationship of always being with him. Seeing Jesus for the first time. Many of us have appreciated more than 8,000 hymns that were written by the blind author Fanny Crosby. Near the end of the 19th century, Fanny was visiting the Lake Chautauqua Institute, which was it's in western New York State, and it was the place where Christians would gather and encourage each other and preach and sing, and it was like a big Bible conference. It was here that she met a guy named John Sweeney, and after a busy day of the camp meetings, they were out sitting on the front porch of the hotel, and John asked Fanny this question. He says, Fanny, do you think we'll recognize our friends in heaven? And initially, she was kind of talking about that. And then she paused and she said, John, that's not what you really want to know, is it? You want to know how an old lady who's been blind all of her life could even recognize one person in heaven, let alone her Lord and Savior. Fanny said, well, I've given a lot of thought to that. And I don't think I'll have a problem. 
But if I do, when I get to heaven, I'm going to look around and see... I'm going to look around, and when I see the one who I think is my Savior, I'm going to walk up to him and say, can I see your hands? Then I'll know I've found my Jesus. And John said, oh, Fanny, that would make a great song. And she said, no, thank you. I'm tired. I'm going to bed. (laughs) Well, the next morning, bright and early, Fanny met John for breakfast, and before they went their separate ways, she dictated the words of this hymn to John. Because she was blind, Fanny would work it all out in her head and then would wait till someone was there where she could just quote it and they would write it down for her. When my life work is ended and I cross the swelling tide, when the bright and glorious morning I shall see, I shall know my Redeemer when I reach the other side and His smile will be the first to welcome me. Oh, the soul-thrilling rapture when I view His blessed face and the luster of His kindly beaming eye, how my full heart will praise Him for the mercy, love, and grace that prepare for me a mansion in the sky. Oh, the dear ones in glory, how they beckon me to come, and our parting at the river, I recall. To the sweet vales of Eden, they shall sing my welcome home. But I long to meet my Savior, first of all. Through the gates to the city in a robe of spotless white, he will lead me where no tears will ever fall. In the glad song of ages, I shall mingle with delight but I long to meet my Savior first of all. I shall know Him, I shall know Him, and redeemed by His side I shall stand. I shall know Him, I shall know Him, by the print of the nails in his hands. Comfort one another with these words. It's real. It will happen. He is coming. Satan is defeated. Don't let him deceive you. I thought of the passage in Revelation chapter 21, verse 4. God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. You know, that's going to be the first time we see God's true plan for mankind. I appreciated one author that said, These tears have come from sin's distortion of God's purposes for man. They're produced by death or mourning for the dead, by crying or pain. An enemy has done this to the old order. Now God has defeated the enemy and liberated his people and his creation. No more tears. It's all over. Victory's complete.